Hello and welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This will be the final installment of the What Do Men Think series. And um, tonight I have sitting across the table from me a, a gentleman who will go by the name of Sheriff Wilson. So Sheriff Wilson, welcome to the Men You Are Not Alone podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, Sheriff Wilson, what is your age? I'm 82 years old. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 60. You're 60. Are you married, divorced, remarried? Let me think about that for a minute. I'm divorced. You're divorced. I'm divorced. Okay. Do you have any kids? I've got two boys. Two boys? How old are they? 36 and 32. Okay. And uh, kind of a general summary of your line of work. Just no construction guy. Okay. And do you have any type of involvement in your community other than your work? I volunteer every now and then with the food bank. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump in because I know you have a lot of material. So if you were to grab a handful of the issues faced by men in our culture today, issues that stand out a bit from others, which ones would they be and why do these issues stand out to you? Number one that pops out is laziness. Okay. Laziness. I'm, again, I'm 60. I see it more probably in the 30-year-old. And so it's not like it used to be. If you wanted something, you went out and you worked for it. If there was something around the house that needed to be done, you did it. Now it seems like men nowadays, if they can't buy it, steal it, or find a way to get it for free, they don't want it. They're lazy. It's sad when the women nowadays probably outwork the men. I don't mean that in a bad way towards men. I'm not bashing men. But especially since I'm in the construction industry, you can't find, you just can't find labor anymore. It's not there. Okay. And the COVID kind of proved it when you got all these men that were getting more money sitting at home thanks to our government than what they were when they were working. Why do? Why would they want to go back to work? Except for you, myself, I get myself worth out of my work, doing things, creating things with my hands. If I want something, I go for it. The other thing is... Not so much just laziness, but uh, responsibility. Men don't want to take, a lot of men that I've met, they don't want to take responsibility and stand up for who they are, what this country used to be. Uh, they just, maybe it is laziness, I don't know. Could be. But those two things, and the biggest thing I think for a lot of men or will kind of irks me is we don't have rights as men anymore like we used to go back clear to 1776 when they wrote started writing all the law you know all the laws and everything i have nothing against a woman working i don't think that a woman has to sit and cower in the corner but as men when there are certain things that happen and come up we don't have, I personally don't feel like 
we have the rights that our forefathers used to have. But it's our fault. We've decided to cower down, stand back, and take the easy road. We decided just to vote and let these people go into office and run this country the way they want to run it. And it seems like more and more half the time I see that happening, there's a woman standing in the background saying, No. No, you dummy. I told you to say this. Not that. And it's our fault if we don't have the rights that we used to have anymore. It's our fault. We need to stand back up. God made us as men yeah. for a reason. And men need to be we need to be men again. I don't mean that we need to be abusive. We don't have to be abusive. We don't have to go out and attack the world. But there's a lot of different ways that you can be a man again. Number one, start standing up for yourself, believe in yourself. Actually, I'll take that back. Number one, put God on the top of your list. Not your motorcycle, not your car, not your buddies down at the golf clubs. Put God number one. Quit making your wife number one. God didn't ask you to make your wife number one or your girlfriend. He didn't ask you to make your job number one. He just wants first place in our life. And we need to do that. We need to make God number one. Because if we keep denying him, the same thing is going to happen to us when we stand before him. The Bible says, he talks about it. We deny that we knew him. Then we have to stand before him one day. He's going to say, get away from me. I don't know who you are. Those are just some thorns on my side. So the laziness, putting God first, do you see any other issues that, well, the rights, hmm. rights, right. <clears throat> which we will start plowing through in the next, the second or third series or mingled in between, we'll flesh that out a little bit better. Fatherhood. That's another one that just, I feel like God just laid that on my heart. I got the opportunity to go to Zambia, went through Zimbabwe. Went through a bunch of different parts of Africa, but I got to go to Zambia. I think it was in 2000. And there were very, very, very few families. And when I mean families, you would see the women doing most of the work. The children would be working. You would see the families. The families was the mom and the children. Where was the dad? Well, unfortunately, a lot of them was probably dead from AIDS. But I bet when I was there, I bet you I probably sat, seen, talked to close to a hundred families. And out of a hundred families, I only met three fathers. And unfortunately, it's, it's too easy. It's the same way here in the U.S. We don't get married for life anymore. We don't get married till, for death do us part. Something happens. We don't like the way she said something or she burned the roast or we didn't, Build the fence in the backyard right or something happens and that's it. I'm out. I'm gone. Father's just hanging up. And then you've got all these children that are getting in a world of trouble. I mean, I wonder how many children that have been to school with guns and shot the schools up. Out of all those children, how many of them's fathers were still involved in their life? And I don't mean just being a father and being there. I mean being involved. Being a father. Not a figure, but a father. 
That's probably the gist of it all. To me, anyway. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot more, but just off the top of my head. No, and that's fine. That is absolutely sufficient. All right, well, what about in the last couple of years here in the U.S.? What changes or shifts have you seen in people, Mm -hmm. positive or negative, and in our culture, if any? Have you noticed anything different in the last couple of years? Well, there's been a lot of difference, and I think a whole lot of it's got to do with the last couple of years, this COVID thing been going on same thing there it just seems like you know it's it's kind of it's it just i feel like in a sense the way we had to handle it the way the government had us handling it how all these people got laid off or sent home it opened their eyes up to think hey look i can make more money sitting at home and drawing welfare than i do if i work it did. It should have gave families an opportunity to actually experience. And I think a lot of fam- families that were the father and the, was still there, I think a lot of families learned, hey, this is pretty cool. Yeah. This is family life. Hey, look at all the fun we're having. But it made a lot of people lazy. I think it scared a lot of people. I honestly don't believe the COVID was as bad as they were making it out in the press. I recently heard just the other night, now they're coming out and they're saying that really one in three people that had the COVID was asymptomatic. I guess I was that one lucky person out of three. I had it. I was asymptomatic. I've had the flu that was worse. Yeah. I don't believe that. I'm sorry. I just don't believe that there's that many diseases and things that are running rampant through our culture like the doctors and everybody's making it out. Yeah. And I would agree um, with you. You know, I've been away from television since 88, which I, for all I know, the people who listen to this were born after 88. Really? I don't know. But I always ask people because I don't live in the television world. I don't see it. I have never seen it. And always ask him if you like. Does it? Does this disaster live anywhere other than your TV? Because I don't live with a TV influencing my world. I don't see it happening. I have a lot of doctor friends, and they keep me updated on what's going on in the hospitals and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's. I have yet to hear an extreme story from a doctor about overrun hospitals mm-hmm. or stuff like that. And every once in a while, ERs. But I really do wonder, is this a television pandemic? I kind of wonder if we're not going to... Like, if everybody turned their television off, would it exist? Yeah. Like, could you see it? But anyway, I don't want to go down. I don't want to... We'll flesh things out later. And I don't want to make this about COVID. Because God knows everybody's going to have COVID. The only other thing in our culture that it's kind of... I think it's kind of mellowing out a little bit. Maybe not in some parts of the country. For the very first time today, and God knows how long, I had a woman pulled up right next to me while I was sitting and eating my lunch. I was in my truck. She pulled up right next to me and had a big sign on her door that said, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Nobody ever said they didn't, but White Lives Matter. Red Lives Matter. God's children's lives matter matter and there's a lot of things i think that took place during that little time frame 
that I think us as a country, we kind of blew it completely out of proportion. I think some people took advantage of the situation. One little thing pops off and happens, next thing you know, we got a riot somewhere and people are just breaking windows and hauling TVs out by the truckload. And it's funny got, how they always go for the TV. The TV, yeah. You know, I like... Mean, why don't they go for the curling irons? Or the sockets or the tools. You don't see them going for the well, tools. But they can't go for the tools. Because they don't know how to use them. They don't know how to use them. And then if they did, they may have to work. Well, that's true. That would imply that you're going to do something yeah. with it. So yeah. I just had this random flashback of because <clears throat> I'm sitting here in my house and I'm looking at a picture window, a big window. And I remember when the COVID stuff first started that you could not find a bicycle anywhere because families had gone out and bought bicycles and they were riding together. And I just had this flashback of how many people on bikes, how many families all together, the husband, the wife, the kids, there was a constant stream of bicycles passing this window. As we sat and ate dinner, we would comment about how many, and, and kids, like the yards were full of families throwing a football, playing badminton, doing something together, water balloon fights, things like that. And they were having fun like they were used to. Yeah. And and it was like for just a moment, somebody took a rubber mallet and hit the U, the United States in the forehead with a rubber mallet. And sad how it takes something like that to make it happen, huh? And then I don't see that anymore. It happened right after 9-1-1. Everybody became friends. They, there was a big news report about some guys went to New York City before 9-1-1. You couldn't get anybody to say hello back to you. You couldn't, you, nobody would shake your hand. They were just the rudest people on the face of the earth. 911 happened and they were humbled. People started opening the doors for people. They said that people would hold the door open for you. People actually said, thank you. Thank you. Two words. Now, I don't know how the New Yorkers say it. Thank you. Maybe they made it one word. No, that's in the South, ain't it? But uh, they went back six months later, they said, right back the same thing. Yeah, and that's about how long the, the window of all the bike riders and the kids mm -hmm. out playing in the street and stuff lasted. And it was so awesome to see. It, we, it, we used to love to sit here at this table and eat dinner and watch all the families going down the street. And they would stop and talk to each other. Neighbors were getting to know neighbors. You know, it makes me think of... There's been a lot of times I've hit some areas in my life and I'd be like, I'd be mad at God. Ah, get away from me. Ah, you don't really exist. Ah, and things happen. And if I'm anything, I've learned to thank God for all the hard times in my life. Because I'm a stubborn-headed old man. And it takes being humbled, I mean really humbled, before I drop to my knees and start getting right with God. And then when life starts getting good again, I hop on my Harley and I go riding down the street, kicking dogs. No, I don't. Just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, there's, it's funny. But the two, you know, the changes, like I said, in our culture, I don't really know what to think about it anymore. It's just, I watch, maybe I watch too much news. I try to watch just the weather. It's the only thing. It's pretty bad when I'm when you watch the TV, and the only thing interesting is the weather. Well, how? Let's, uh, what? Do you have anything else? I, I think that 
I think these things happen, and I don't think God is a mean God. It's just like our children. You know, I'm, I'll bet you there's been times you probably sat out in your garage with your kids, and you probably watched one of them, and you thought, oh, if he touches that, that bolt's been sitting over there next to that, and it's been running, and it's got friction been building up, and that bolt's hot, it's not glowing red. So I think it, you know, it's not going to kill him, but if he touches that, and you want to say, stop, son, because you love him, but kind of like me when I was a kid, I didn't, I always learned the hard way, it seems like. You let him touch it. That didn't feel very good, did it? And I think that's what God does. I think he lets us, you know, I think he protects us. I think he loves us and he protects us. We know he loves us. I mean, he let his only begotten son died on a cross. He wants to spend eternity in hell, you know. But sometimes I think God backs up and he lets me do my stupid, stupid. And then I realize how dumb I was. And then I realize he told me not to. The lesson learned. Hard lesson learned. <laughs> but I learned it. I think you're in good company with that. Well, how about as you look back over your life, were there any men who made a significantly positive impact or caused a positive course correction in your life? If yes, who were they? And how did they impact or change your course in life in a positive way? Yes. And I know exactly who they were. Okay. There were three men. The first one, of course, was my father. My father was there through thick and thin. He never bailed on us. He was always there. He always supported us. He always provided for us. And he always loved us. There was a lot of times I learned the hard way. And when I decided I didn't want to listen, I got my choice. I either got Mr. Brown or Mr. Black. And those were belts. But I, when I look back on it, I deserved it. I deserved it. Every time I deserved it. But my father was the biggest influence in my life. And he was, as I got older, I realized I was, I don't know, what age are you at when you're, Oh, I think I was 16 through maybe almost 21 before I got close to having my only family. I thought my dad was the dumbest human being on the face of the earth, didn't understand anything. Learned real quick as I got a little older. He was the smartest man I've ever known in my entire life. I mean, he was it. He is dead and gone now. I miss him every day of my life. Uh, so many times I wish I could talk to him again. And I do. Sometimes when I'm driving down the road, I'll, I just start talking to him. Don't, he, I don't know if he can hear me. I don't know. If, I'm, I'm sure he's in heaven. I'm hoping he can hear me. I can't wait until the day I can sit down with him and, and play, uh, play catch again. Yeah. I thought that was so funny watching that movie with Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams, where he finally gets to meet his dad. That's what my dad used to ask me. You know, they didn't say, hey, you want to throw the ball back and forth? They called it, hey, you want to play catch? And I thought that was so neat when I heard seen that. But he was the biggest influence in my entire life. Second one, I used to go to, when I finally decided that there was a God, when I finally decided, when I finally got smart one day and realized where all the bad was coming from. I was broke down on the side of the road, had a flat tire, trying to hurry up and get home. Was going to try to surprise my family and go to church with them on a Wednesday night. 
Had a flat tire. Got out of my truck. Went back there. Could not find my jack. My my nice jack. Could not find my tire. My uh, tire iron. I couldn't find anything. And I sit there on the side of that road and I thought, you got to be kidding me. And I was just screaming and cussing and I was blaming it on God. I thought, why are you, if you're a loving God, why are you doing this? Why'd you hide my tire iron? Yeah, where is it? Why? <laughs> and I am literally out there busting knuckles, found this little bitty jack, barely got the thing off the ground, the tire off the ground. And I'm out there with a pair of vice grips. Busting my knuckles, bleeding all over the place. Finally got that tire changed, put the new one back on, was throwing the tools in the back of the truck, and right there in broad daylight, there was my good jack, and there was my tire iron. I thought, this is, but while I was down there changing that tire, I was so upset. I'm 24 years old at the time. I was so upset. I was cussing. I mean, I was cussing God. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it just hit me. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no. I know who this is. I finally realized this is not God punishing me. This is the prince of this earth having his way with me, making me think that... And I got so mad, I started cussing Satan right there and then. And that is the point in my life when I decided, I don't care how bad life gets. I don't care what happens. You're not going to beat me, Satan. You are not going to win this war against me. You're not going to win. But I started going to that church. I finally got there. I made it. There was a man at that church. His name was... Yeah, you can say his name. Okay, just want to make sure. His name was Bill Peters. Bill was, kind of reminded me of my dad a little bit. Big old tall guy. Never, never have I ever seen that man frown. Never. Never did I ever hear him say a bad word about anything. Nothing. This man was just happy to see you every time. Always eager to shake your hand or give you a hug. And always had something uplifting and positive to say, no matter what was going on or what was happening. And I, I think about that man still day, and there's so many times I think, man, and I have prayed and asked God, could you give me, not just your spirit, but you could you give me a Bill Peter spirit? <laughs> a Bill Peter spirit. I mean, he was he was just awesome. The third guy that has made a big influence in my life is sitting across the table from me. You came in. I'll never forget the first day I met you on the job site. I thought, Lord God, this man couldn't weigh 105 pounds butt naked or wet in his T-shirt. And I thought, and when I first met you, I thought, this is one of them bookworms. He's a goober. He don't know nothing about the job site. But... You seem pretty cool. And there was something there. And I think God brought you in my path because you've always... Now, I've seen you down before. Yes, you have. I'll never forget one morning when you climbed in my truck and I was sitting there filling out some paperwork and you were being very quiet. You weren't talking about the job. You weren't talking about nothing. You were very quiet. And then I heard a couple of sniffles and I looked over and you were crying. You were a broken spirit. 
and I prayed for you right then and there, but you have always been, I don't know, you're, you, you're not the guy that is always constantly asking people for help. You're always there to help people. You have a servant of God's spirit and you have always been real good. You know how to talk to people. You know how to treat people. I've seen you mad. I'll never forget the day that that little girl was riding her bicycle around the job site and she kept calling you by a different name and you finally just picked up a two before and threw it at her. (laughs) Now, of course, that was 15 minutes after she was gone, so luckily you didn't hit her. But no, well, seriously, though, you've been a big influence in my life. I did not throw a two by four at a little girl. No, but you talked about it. So, but I do know the girl you're talking about. And I never called her by the right name because it irritated yeah. her. And then she would come back for more and more. Every She'd come back 12 times a day just so she could hear me call her by she, a different name. She was so funny, though. Anyway, sorry. But, but you, yeah, my dad was the mo- first and foremost, Bill Peters, and then you. And uh, those are the kind of people that I would love to. It would be awesome if you could just surround yourself Unfortunately, there's not a lot of people out there. That's what makes you so unique, Bill and my dad. They're, and I've always tried to be, and I've been accused a lot of time of looking just like my father, which doesn't bother me at all. I have been accused of being my father. And both my boys tell me all the time how much I remind them. And they love their grandpa. And if I could grow, if as I continue to grow older, if I could, if I could be anybody, I would want to be just like my dad and kind of like Bill with that yeah. happy spirit all the time. That's awesome. And I would love to be as smart as you are because it's a facade. No, I don't think it is. I don't <laughs> think it is. I, I, I think, I think you probably got an IQ that, uh, well, it would embarrass me to put my number up next year's. Eh, whatever. But anyway. Whatever. Okay. All right. Has there ever been a time in your life when you allowed yourself to become isolated? If there was, what caused you to isolate yourself? And how did you get out of that isolation? There was. There Tell me was. About that. And you know when it was. I do. But It was four years ago, almost five. It was after, it was the night I came home and when she attacked me and she got arrested and they took her to jail. That was the end of my marriage, at 35 years of marriage. And after it happened, I couldn't figure it out. I was in a tailspin. I mean, I had no idea what was up, what was down. At that particular time, suicide had never crossed my mind. And it never did, really, until, I'll be honest with you, until about maybe three months ago. I contemplated it, but then when I think about it, God always puts this, there's nothing on this earth, there's nothing on this earth that is worth dying over. Uh, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, we've had thousands upon thousands of men that have died for this country, and I thank God for each and every one of them. There's probably been men out there that have thrown themselves in harm's way to protect children. And I condemn them 
They are awesome people. But as far as it goes for something like not having enough money or even losing a loved one, when it came to me getting a divorce, I loved my wife. Don't get me wrong. I loved her. But probably too much. I made her number one before God. And before it, it was getting so bad there at the end, I was driving to work, literally praying that, you know, if it was meant to be, that God would just take me away. That he would just end my life. It didn't happen. But right after the divorce, or right after we separated, no, actually, I take the bed right after the divorce. It was right after I finally got my new place built and I got moved in and I was setting in, I was living, you know, my, you know, yes, my old story. I, I had a and we'll get into that later. old work trailer and I was living in that thing. No heat, no air, no running water, no toilet, no nothing. And it was very depressing. I just kind of got mad at God again. I got mad at the world. I got mad at you. I got mad at her. I got mad at everybody. I got mad at myself. So I didn't want to have anything to do with anybody. So I tried my hardest just to ice. I really just wanted to load everything up and just move somewhere where nobody would ever find me again. Down by a river? Down by the river. But I didn't. I sat and thought about it for a little bit. I read some scripture. And I did a lot of praying. I probably sent up more an email than I've ever sent up in my life. And it just kept feeling like God wasn't listening. Finally, I thought to myself, I thought this is, I was so depressed. I thought this can't be what my life is meant to be. And I thought I need to be, I want to be happy. I need to, I literally, literally got my phone and I Googled just comedy. As much as I did not want to laugh, as much as I just wanted to remain mad, I knew that I had to do something. I just had to do something. Yeah, the pit's a dangerous place. So I Googled comedy, and I just started watching funny things. And it just got to the point where some of it was so funny, I couldn't help but to laugh. And I just started laughing. And I'm sitting there. When I'm in in the darkest of the darkest pit i made myself do that and by doing it it did something inside of me it just lifted my spirit and i i just got to thinking about it i thought this is this is ridiculous i've been knocked down before and what did i do i got back up and then when i thought about my whole life nothing was as dark as that period in time but there was nothing in my life, all them dark valleys that I've crossed, there was not one thing in any one of them dark valleys that killed me. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. I'm still laughing. I'm still spitting out the window on Volkswagens when they go by. But I thought about that night I sat there and I thought, I don't care, Satan. You go back to hell where you came from. I've got this flat tire changed. I've got a bunch of bloody knuckles. But you didn't beat me, buddy. You beat me up, but you didn't beat me. And I would have to say that that was probably the lowest mile, and I did. I That's how I got out of the isolation, though. And I know it's kooky, but I love to laugh. Laughter is some of the best medicine. 
And I did. I literally made myself. Well, and you're a funny man. But there was a period where you weren't. Wait a minute. Are you you talking about that (laughs) picture again where I look like the banker in Monopoly? Yeah. Funny looking. No, but you're funny, but it is funny to watch. Not funny. It's curious to watch men. One of the first things we lose when we go into a pit is our sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And it is that warrior spirit. And any guy with a warrior spirit, he instantly goes into a defensive position and loses that sense of humor. I do it. I mean, I, I notice it about myself. The minute I feel like something's coming after me, the first thing I jettison is my sense of humor. And I hate that, but but I did watch that in you, and I'm glad that you passed through that that thing. And 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 here's the you mentioned something a little bit ago, like a question or two back that you said I'm always looking for ways to help people, but I see this in every man. The difference is only that I'm not un, I'm not inhibited from doing it, and I have found that most men, really without fail are wanting to help. Mm-hmm. They want an invitation. And I guess God created bargers like me to say, dude, you are so invited. Like, I need your help. Or these guys need your help. Or this family needs your help. Or the food bank needs your help. Or whatever it might be. That it, I'm not different. I'm just, for whatever reason, I'm, I don't have that inhibition that makes me pause before I do it. And so... I found that in most men, it's not really complicated. I'm saying that to the men who are listening, that if you are holding back, I'm going to go with the odds because even men who are in the bottom of a pit, the at their lowest stage, I could walk up to them and say, you know what? There are 340 hungry families coming to the food bank tonight to get food and we need help because there's only six of us. Would you mind helping? <laughs> yes, sir. I will absolutely be there. How long can I stay? Not, oh, well, this is a burden. Can I stay like the whole time? And I'm like, bring it, man. You got any friends? Anybody else in the pit? Please bring them. And it's kind of like comedy. And mm-hmm. and I find it really just, it's a matter of just unlocking what's already in a man. I really do find 99% of men agreeable. They really want to be better than where they're at. They oh, just need a rope. They just need somebody to say, to pull them out of the almost pit. like you need permission. Yep. And I have to look at them and tell them, you don't need permission to live your life. This is your life. And you're one of the men that understands that. I've always admired that about you. You never needed permission to live your life. And I think that's highly respectable. And that's why you have an influence on younger men. Is because they look at you and say, he doesn't ask permission to live his life. That man just freaking lives his life. Um, but anyway, I just totally derailed this conversation. But no. so you so you got you got isolated. Comedy helped you come out of it. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that along the world of Google <laughs> that's where I found the comedy and stuff. But you know something else that's along with Google that there were a few self help. I mean, I I don't even remember what I Googled, but there was uh, kind of like the gentleman that I sent you the thing about the other night. You know, I don't even know where that came from. I didn't Google that. I didn't Google. I didn't Google anything. I, but I was sitting there looking on YouTube, and then I found that. What, what was that guy's name? I cannot remember. I can't it's either. a. It's kind of a. 
Slovakian or yeah. Russian. He's name. from Australia. Oh, Australia. Okay. He was born and raised in Australia, and for some reason, and he tells the name of whatever it was, he has no arms and he has no legs. Yes. He has that little foot-looking thing that sticks out that has like two toes that he can give the peace sign. The guy's hilarious, but he he came up, and I was sitting there listening to him. Because you already know, one of the biggest things I battle now is panic attacks, or they they call them panic attacks, anxiety attacks, yes. whatever they may be. The reason they freak me out more than anything is because I had a seizure disorder the whole time I was growing up until I was 21 years old, and then that was the last time I had a seizure. But whatever these are, they feel exactly like it when they come on. And I got to where... There's times where I would be driving down the road and I just have this immense feeling of fear or doom or death that's getting ready to come over me. Something bad's getting ready to happen. Yeah, if I land it or believe it. So I reach back in the back of my head and I click that volume off. And I turn it off. So this is ridiculous. You, you're always doing this. I always hear this. But not one to end. And of all the panic attacks and anxiety attacks and everything that I've had, not one of them, not one of them has killed me. I'm still here. I'm still here. I've learned to be able to sit at a table while one's happening. I might get quiet. I might set my head down for a minute or something. But I know I'm going to be fine. And I just pick myself up and I keep going. There's nothing in this world that we can't overcome. There's really nothing. There's people that, I know people that have lost everything. I've lost everything in my life twice. Everything. I'll never forget the first time before I had to file bankrupt and everything went bad because I'm originally from Oklahoma. And I was sitting in my apartment. We were separated and I thought it was all over then. And I'm sitting in my apartment. And the only thing I had to eat was a Tootsie Pop that the girls over at the gas station gave me for my son. That was it. That was another one of them times I got mad at God. I thought, hey, you know, really? This is all I've got to eat? And then when I went to Zambia, I realized that Tootsie Roll was probably pretty good. It might have been like a steak compared to what them people had over there. There's thousands of people, kids, little bitty children going to bed every night, nothing to eat. I had seven boys, five boys, five boys, I'm sorry. I had five boys that became friends with me the, the third day I was there, and they followed me around like shadows. And when I took them to a little place down there that was kind of like a Burger King, and I bought them a hamburger and fries and a drink, they all took one bite. Of, I mean, here I am. I'm wolfing mine down. Sure just like we do in America. These boys sit there and took one bite, ate one fry, took a little sip, and put everything in their little backpack. And I asked them, y'all not hungry? Oh, no, this is too much food. We take this home to our family. My sisters and my mom can eat this. I thought, wow. When I think back when I thought... Life is hard. Yeah. We don't know what life is... We think we know what life is, how hard it can be. But I promise you, there's always somebody out there 
somebody that's doing worse. Let me look at Danny's wife. The lady was not, not supposed to be alive. Had a wreck on that four-wheeler. Her head is laying on her back. Her neck is broke clear in half. I don't even know how she survived. But yet Danny tells us about it. She is a living miracle. It's a matter of perspective. And that's the downside of the pit is we lose perspective. We do. And I, I, I have to say, I really do. And I know I sound screwy when I say this, but I really do. Not, don't, not only do I praise God for my good times, but it's like that song by Casting Crowns. I also praise him in the rain. It's all the hard times. It's all the hard knocks. It's all those deep valleys because I'm stubborn headed. I'm, I'm stubborn headed. And God has to let me stick my finger on that hot little bolt and burn myself to learn. And then I forget about it and I'll have to do it again. But that's why I praise God for them dark nights because we're beyond blessed. You know, I cannot imagine. I can't imagine being there on the night or on the day that our Lord and Savior was beaten, stoned, dragging across with thorns on his head. I mean, people spitting on him. And I mean, I can't, I don't understand why God just didn't reach down to annihilate us all right then and there. Somebody's doing that to my son. I want to tell you what, I'm going to get my 30 odd out. And I'm going to be taking out somebody. But he suffered. I mean, if you think about it, he suffered. He suffered for us. I'm not saying that we don't suffer now. We do. There's a lot of things that can happen. We can go through a lot of bad times. A lot of there's a lot of darkness still in this world. But it's the it's what are you going to do about it? Are you going to lay down, roll over, and just give up? Or are you going to listen to a funny comic on YouTube or watch an inspirational talk or something? And for me, all I got to do is see a picture of my grandkids. And that is the icing on the cake. I'm out of that hole, brother, and I'm ready to play. Yeah. There's something else beyond the pit. Mm-hmm. All right. So imagine that I... I have the ability to bring in an 18-year-old version of you. You at 18, and I sit him down here at the table. And because I, I have a Sam's membership or something like that, I have this immense power to make him sit here and listen to you. What would you pass back for advice to yourself at 18? I'm not going to sit here and kick myself and tell him not to do this and not to do that. There are a lot of things I wish I'd would not have done in my life. There are a lot of things I wish I would have. I really wish. You know what? I don't know. I was the I there, I was the second of five children. I was the only one that did not go to college, and my mom just gave me hell about not going to college. But I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do as a young life. I wanted to be a carpenter. It's the only thing I've ever been able to be good. I was the only thing I've ever been good at. Only thing I knew how to do. And let me tell you, I was so ready to be out of school. I'd be damned if I was ready to go back. So I kind of wish maybe I would have. 
but I would not tell myself to change that because I feel like I, I did good with my life. I don't, you know, maybe I, if anything, maybe I should have went to college and got a business degree. Maybe I could have done better, but I've been very successful with my, I, I no longer am self-employed, but I was for 36 years. I don't know a lot of people that have been self-employed for 36 years. Now, there's quite a few companies out there that's been around for hundreds of years, but for me, myself, and I, I mean, I know a lot of people that tried it, failed. I had a lot of people ask me, how do you do it? I, you know, it was a God-given gift. Yeah. That's all I can say. There's not a lot of solo operations that exist for 36 years. Yeah, I wouldn't tell myself... I wouldn't, you know, if I was sitting here, I said, hey, hey, dummy, go to college. I wouldn't tell myself that. All what? in all, I, everything that I've done in my life, I feel like a lot of it, even though I didn't realize it probably until just right now, I think God, even though I didn't really know him that well, I think God led me down the path that he's wanted me to be on. Yeah, would I have liked to have been better? Yeah. Could it have been worse? Yeah, it could have been worse. I mean, you know my story about my old son. He was paralyzed at eight months old. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to live. He's still alive today. He has a walking disability, but he's still alive today. I'm glad get... you walked the road you did. I like the bruised and bloody well, warrior that's sitting I'll across you, the table from me. The doctor sat there and told us that he was going to die. From the get-go. I mean, because he breathed, they said he was going to have Down syndrome. And then after that, when he was born, he didn't have Down syndrome. Then he got sick from the DPT shot, and he was paralyzed. I went to get him out of bed. He was completely paralyzed. A fever of 104 for almost two weeks. I wouldn't trade that for the world. Now, if, if I could magically change time, I would rather make it to where he didn't get sick. But I went down the road that I went down. Well, let me change the shape of the question just a little bit. It's kind of hard for it. What advice would because I, I don't give want you to change? I don't. I don't. I don't intend the question to be about what would you would do to change your course at eighteen. What advice about life in general would you give? That's probably a better way to put it. What give your life to God earlier. I mean, don't just think about it. I had a when I was a kid in in elementary school. When they used to let the men come around, yeah, the what, what, the the little Gideon Gideons, Bibles, yeah, they would hand them out. They gave me one, and I don't know why. My mom was a very religious woman. She was, I think, she was Pentecostal. My dad was Catholic. That was a good clash. Yeah, uh, she found that little Bible and threw it away. Told me I couldn't have it. I went and found it in the trash and got it back and hid it. I wish. I wish I would have probably gave my life to God a whole lot sooner. I really didn't. As a child, you know, Catholic, you're what sprinkled. You're not baptized completely, you know, immersed. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not bashing Catholic people. But I'll never forget the day I was baptized in a swimming pool behind a hotel where we were literally having service in their banquet hall because we didn't have a church. 
And after that happened, I'll never forget, I remember when the Holy Spirit came upon me. I remember that. But I went way too long. I, I wish I would have walked that road a lot sooner. I feel like maybe if I would have, my faith would be a lot stronger than it is now. But I'm not going to kick myself for it because I feel good where I'm at now. I've fell away from my God a little bit here towards the first of this year. We're in December now. And I've been listening to a lot of sermons, been you know, reading a lot of the Bible, and I feel good where I'm at now. I can sit. You know my whole situation with the divorce. It still ain't completely done. And it when I used to think about it, I would have a, I would have anxiety attacks immediately, right off the bat. Yes. And now and, and and when my lawyer, when he texts me or he calls me, I'd see his name and my blood pressure would get so high I thought my head was gonna pop off and hit the moon. It doesn't now. It doesn't. You know what? It is what it is. My God is still in the driver's seat. He is still on the throne. The book is written. I know what the end says. I know what's going to happen. And I believe the word of God. And there is, and when you think about it, and I mean anybody, if I could say anything at all to anybody that is sitting out there thinking, my word, this, this is a bunch of crap, man. These people are just talking, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, I've had enough. I think I'm just going to put a bullet in my head and be done with it. I, you know, I can't stop you. I can't stop you. But there is nothing. There is nothing on the face of this earth. Nothing that is worth killing yourself over. Now, if my child, if one of my children was being attacked by somebody and I had to intervene, that's not suicide. I'm being a man and I'm protecting my family. And if somebody shot me and killed me in the process, so be it. But I, it's not suicide. There is nothing in this world worth taking a whole bottle of pills for or putting a bullet in your head or jumping off of the cliff. There's nothing. There is absolutely nothing because everything on this earth, like his word says, everything will be laid to waste one day. Tell me this. Tell me this. How old are you? 52. 52. How many houses do you see that are still standing and just as beautiful in all their glory when they were built in 1650. I don't know one. I'm talking houses that people lived in. I'm not talking about giant castles that may have been here, you know, forever. But there's nothing. There's nothing. There's not a car one that I owned from the day I started driving that ain't a pile of junk, probably already melted and been created into something else. There's not a home one that I've lived in. There is not a dollar one that I have made in every, if you took all the money that I've made between the time I started working till now, there's not one of them that is still, I don't have it all sitting here just, you know, everything, everything has an end date. 
except for God. There's nothing on this earth, nothing, nothing that I would kill myself over or that I would be willing to die for. I've heard some people say, well, you know, I may think about it if I could win the lottery. Well, good for you. I wish I was as smart as you. Hey, look at old Jim over there. He just won, what was it here a while back? The lottery was a little over a billion. Oh he gosh. just won the whole thing and he don't have to pay any taxes. He's got a billion something dollars. <laughs> but he's dead. What's he going to do with it? How many people could you dig up out of your grave that have everything buried with them? It's still laying right there. They didn't get to use any of it. So why do people worry about it? Because we've made things God. I heard a, heard a thing a while back. Instead of praising God for the things we have, we praise the things we have and ignore God. We're kind of backwards, buddy. And if you're in the pit right now as a man sitting somewhere listening to this, wherever you might be, go back about five minutes and hit play again and listen to this. Because when you're in the pit, you don't hear this stuff. And, uh, and I can't physically be there to grab you by the shoulders and say, I need you to listen. Because when you're in the pit, your ears kind of go deaf mm. and you get lost in that fog that's in the trees. And it's a fog, just as Sheriff Wilson here is explaining. There's nothing that lasts. All of this stuff is a season. Storms are seasons. Hard mm. times are seasons. Good times are seasons. They come and they go just like the wind. And your average, to however old you are, whether you're 15 or 80 or whatever, it doesn't matter, whether you're 5 or 3,000, your average for getting through hard times in your life is 100%. Because you're sitting right there. And I guarantee you, if you're alive, you've been through many storms. There is nothing stable about our culture and our world. And just as Sheriff Wilson is explaining, it passes. There's nothing worth taking your life for. Nothing. Because it will pass. And there's nothing you can do to stop that. It's going to pass anyway. You can choose to stay in the pit, or you can choose to let it fade away and go. Because the only thing that keeps it there, present in your life, is you. And because time is moving on. Time didn't stop because yeah, you had you a... cannot stop time. Yeah, even in a storm, time doesn't stop. It keeps moving, and that storm keeps moving on. And you're the only one that can say that the storm is still above me, even though the storm has moved on. And it's about perception. So I just hijacked your conversation. But No, I was going to, I'm looking this up real quick because I would like to say something to anybody. Honestly, here it is. If you have a phone, if you think that your world is crushing you, caving in on you, if your girlfriend just left you and it's killing you, I'm sorry, I understand that. If you've lost a loved one, I feel really bad for you because that, that's very painful and it really does hurt. But if you have a phone and you have the opportunity, I want to give you a name. He's from Australia. His name is Nick, N-I-C-K. I am not going to even try to pronounce this last name. 
and I will spell it as F-U-J-I-C-I-C. And you need to just Google his name and listen to one of his podcasts. He has no arms. He has no legs. He has talked. He said last night, I think he has spoke in over 3,000-something prisons. He's been around the world 20 times. He's got a beautiful wife. And he's got beautiful children. And he can't reach out and give you a hug. But he tries. He does. And he lets everybody know that he loves them. He doesn't love them. He loves their heart. Just like God loves us, he loves our heart. But just check them out. There's nothing, nothing you can't overcome. Put your hands in God. Put, your, put yourself in God's hands. Trust him. One of the things that helps me, and I'm just going to share this and I'll shut up. No, it's fine. This is a good exit. I still get stressed out a lot. I'm 60 years old. Trust me, there's something else I want to speak to every one of you. As you get older, it will get easier because the wisdom that you gain, it'll let you know that, hey, life's not as bad as we think it is. Just like teenagers, they freak out and stuff. Anyway, find a happy spot in your life. You've had to have had at least something in your life that warms your heart when you think about it. Maybe something or somebody. When I get stressed out and I feel like I'm going to have a panic attack or an anxiety attack, I know this may sound corny, but it works. I pretend, I pretend that I'm sitting in God's lap. I pretend that I'm sitting with him and he is my father, just like my earthly father brings me comfort. Every time I do this, I have this immense amount of peace and comfort that comes over me. And I will pretend that I'm sitting there with God. I don't even have to sit in his lap. I can sit on a couch next to him. I can be sitting with Jesus. Don't even have to talk. All I do is just sit with him. And when I imagine that, I have this unexplainable peace that just comes over me and it makes me warm and everything just goes away. That's a good exit. All right. Well, Sheriff Wilson, thank you for being here on the podcast today. And this will conclude the What Do Men Think series and episode 31 or somewhere thereabouts. And I hope that uh, this has helped in some way. If not, uh, perhaps one of the gentlemen who has been interviewed, you can connect with him and relate to him. But I will catch you on the next one.